This program features interviews with respected healthcare industry experts on current topics of substantial national importance. Your host for the program is David Intricasso, a DC-based healthcare policy analyst and researcher. We invite you to comment on the program by visiting thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Now, here's David. Welcome to the Healthcare Policy Podcast. Again, I'm the host, David Intracasso. During this podcast, we'll discuss the approximately 100 homeless and poor Washington, D.C. residents that sell street scents. With me to discuss the newspaper and its vendors is the paper's executive director, Brian Carome. Brian, thank you for your time. Thank you, David. Mr. Carome's bio is, of course, posted on the podcast website. As always, let's begin with some background. Street Sense is a biweekly tabloid that focuses on homelessness and related issues. It's sold for a voluntary donation of $2 by approximately 100 D.C. homeless and poor. That the newspaper has been in publication for 12 years is testimony to the fact that the nation's capital has one of the highest rates of homelessness in the country. On any given night in D.C., there are over 2,000 homeless, a fifth of whom are veterans. This is explained in part by an unemployment rate that is one and a half times the national rate, or 7.8% currently. For African-American adults living in, in D.C., it's approximately 10%. Among other at-risk health issues, homelessness presents is, of course, winter hypothermia. According to the CDC, more than 13,000 hypothermia deaths occurred in the U.S. between 03 and 13, and this total represents a statistical significant increase in these deaths over that 10-year period. Other health-related problems include public safety, for example, one year ago last month, an eight-year-old girl residing in a homeless shelter was kidnapped. She's not been seen since and is presumed dead. D.C. has attempted to substantively address homelessness without success. However, just two weeks ago, the city's Interagency Council on Homelessness passed unanimously a five-year plan to end the problem, and the city's new elected mayor allocated $5 million in her budget to build non-shelter permanent housing. Finally, podcast listeners may want to note a related interview, my discussion with the National Center for Healthy Housing's Rebecca Morley, which was posted this past November 24th. So sadly, it was a little longer than I'd hoped. My introduction, Brian, but let's start. Uh, can you give me a brief overview of your organization? And as a follow-up, how would you assess your success to date? Sure. Well, uh, for one, while folks know us as a newspaper, uh, in 2015, we're, we're much more than that. We distribute uh, media across a wide range of channels, including film, stage performance and theater, uh, graphic design and illustration, and, and quite a bit of online digital content. Um, and we judge our success by the quality of life changes in the men and women who come to us. Um, you know, what we've discovered... Uh, over the 12 years that we're doing, uh, doing the work here, is that while housing in this city uh, is distributed quite inequitably, uh, talent is not. It's, it's distributed quite equitably. And so uh, tonight outside, uh, there are going to be some very talented uh, poets and reporters and graphic designers and filmmakers um, and playwriters uh, who are going to be sleeping outside. And the beauty of, of what we do here at Street Sense is, is we see those folks not because of their housing situation, but we see them for their talents and, and their willingness to work hard. Okay, great. Thank you. So let's talk more about the vendors. Can you describe the process of their employment and particularly, of course, what's their success? Sure. So 
um, you know, to become homeless, it's a, it, it's a pretty complicated thing if you, if you listen to the stories. It, it's never one thing that leads to someone becoming homeless. Um, and what is true, though, about someone who's living outside is, is their safety net is gone, their sense of connectedness to uh, a community uh, that brought them into this world is also usually gone. Um, and they're truly alone. It's about as alone as you can get. And the first thing that Street Sense offers is, is an uh, ability to reconnect or a means of reconnection. And, and it begins when you walk through our doors. We offer open door, no barrier orientations for, for new vendors twice a week. Uh, no appointment necessary, no resume, no, no background search. Uh, everyone is welcome. And uh, you don't have to have a penny in your pocket. Um, you get your first uh, batch of 20 papers for free. Uh, and you get, a, you get about an hour and a half worth of training, uh, and you agree to a code of conduct, and, and you're out, you can be out working that day. We can provide instantaneous employment to, to anyone. And we tell you right off the bat, we believe you can be successful. Um, we don't, and we don't care what's happened up until now. Uh, and no, we don't need to do a background check on you. And uh, that begins to get them to, to see themselves in a different way. Uh, and then once they get out in the street and begin um, selling the newspaper, uh, they begin to connect. Uh, it doesn't work for everyone. It's, it's, it's sales. It's hard. It's 99 no's for everyone, yes. Um, but they build relationships with customers. Those that are successful build those relationships. They understand the value of customer service. Uh, and uh, it's 100 smiles even though it's 99 no's uh, for, as the customers go by. And... Those relationships, we, we always say the hardest street sense is that the relationship that develops uh, in the common ground between someone who's homeless, who's selling a newspaper, and someone who's housed, who's buying one. Uh, and that sense of, of relationship is uh, vital to, to the, the clawing you have to do as, as you claw your way beyond homelessness. How long does a, a person usually persist in selling a newspaper? And what are some of the sort of more positive or productive experiences? It, 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 every story is different. Um, and in, in the 12 years that we've been doing this, about 600 people have come through the doors as, and become vendors, become permanent vendors with us. Uh, and for some people, it's a quick stepping stone. Uh, if you're able-bodied uh, and able-minded, uh, we can be a quick stepping stone uh, to, you know, to get enough money to go back and get your commercial driver's license or to get your driver's license or to save up enough money uh, to, to, to become a, a street vendor, you know, a vendor, a food cart vendor, or, or something like that. Um, or to, get, to move on, uh, once, you, once you prove to yourself that you can keep to a schedule and you can manage your money to get a job at CVS or Safeway, uh, and especially if it, if it has uh, benefits like, like health care, that's a wise decision to leave street vending behind. Um, but for some folks, this is the end of, end of the road, employment-wise, for someone who's going to sc- struggle for the rest of their lives with chronic schizophrenia or someone who's got one or more disabling conditions, physical and or mental, someone who is going to be struggling against uh, the, the illness of, of substance abuse for the rest of their life. Um, some people stay here for quite a long time. And to be honest, when I arrived here uh, three and a half years ago, I, I, I had trouble with that. Um, but what I learned is we're home for these people. We may not be the roof over their head, but we're everything else that home ought to be. Uh, we, we treat them for who they are. We see them for their talents. We see them for their willingness to work. Um, we accept them as they are, uh, and, and we, ex- we are, are ready for them when they change. Um, and so no one ever grows beyond street sense if that's their choice. And we've got folks who are, 
who were vending with us uh, 11 and 12 years ago who uh, they may have another job they may have safe housing but they still they still sell the newspaper some of them come back and help us unload the newspaper truck every every couple of weeks and these days some of them are coming back and, and helping us create films and plays as well okay I did notice in your current issue talking about the complexity of this population that of the four stories in this issue two mentioned they take their medications in the morning one mentioned they were in the emergency department recently for possibly their fourth heart attack and the fourth person mentioned they were in a shelter and witnessed some violence so these are very complicated stories and, and everyone who's out in the street, David, has been traumatized at some point in their life, every single one of them. Um, some of them, you know, as, as veterans of U.S. Armed Services, uh, but, but others as, as victims of, of rape or victims of, of childhood sexual abuse or uh, just victims of an eviction, uh, you know, which tends to be a very violent encounter and, and an encounter of great loss. Um, there's not a single one of our vendors who hasn't experienced some type of trauma. You know, I recently, a couple months ago, I, I fell and when I was running and I, I, I fractured my elbow. Um, and I, I've come to realize how lucky I am because I'm, I'm in my seventh week of physical therapy and I had the insurance to cover all of that. But I talked to some of our vendors who have fallen and broken a bone or have, um, you know, been struggling with disabilities all their lives. Um, my, my guess is the folks who have fallen and broken their bone never, never had a day of physical therapy. Uh, and never given a chance to recover. And so you see folks who are limping around. Um, for for an, uh, an injury that you or I would recover from in a, in a couple of months, and for them it plagues them for the rest of their life, and they're in pain for the rest of their lives. You know, the, the life expectancy for, for folks who experience chronic homelessness is significantly shorter, about 20 years shorter. You know, every day you're living outside, you're aging five, five or six days in some cases. And so in, in the last few months, we've had a number of vendors pass away some of natural causes, um, you know, but they're, they're dying in their late 50s, early, early 60s, and we see that again and again and again. Uh, and uh, homelessness uh, is very costly to one's health, um, and the disparities between who has health care in this country and who doesn't, and who has, you know, housing is, is, part, of the, is part of the health care equation. Let, let's go to that. Let's talk about housing. So I did mention in my intro, D.C. is renewed. It's, it's interest in trying to solve this problem. Yes. Uh, one could guess how uh, successful it will be this time. But what's your sense of what's going on in trying to address this issue at the moment? I, I want to challenge even your cynicism, David. I'm optimistic about Muriel Bowser and, and what she's talking about here in The new city, mayor. The new mayor here in Washington, D.C. She understands housing first and how economically wise it is. What we now know is that homelessness is economic idiocy. It, it is so much more expensive for us as taxpayers to pay for the needs of someone who's living outside than it is to give them an apartment rent-free for the rest of their lives. Uh, and you know who gets this more than anyone else? It, it's hospital administrators. Um, I was at a recent forum with the director of behavioral health at the George Washington University Medical Center, and, and she got up and said housing is health care. Um, it, it improves outcomes and it lowers costs. And... I think Mary, I think Miro Bowser, the mayor of Washington, gets that, and, and I've I've taken particular uh, optimistic interest in in the people she's putting around her in her cabinet, uh, people who've had a track record of responding to and ending homelessness in this city, and and we can do it. We can end homelessness in five years if we just have the political will to do so. And, and again, economically, we're we're idiots if we don't if we don't do it. So do you think the budget number that she identified would be sufficient, the $5 million? It's not. It probably is not. Uh, but I know it, it, we will spend twice that 
for the folks who aren't housed uh, and whose homelessness doesn't end. You know, the, the Advisory Board Corporation in Washington just completed a recent very thorough study. They looked at over 800 chronically homeless adults. That means that you've been homeless for more than a year. You've been homeless for more than, than two or three times in the last four or five years. Uh, and you have one or more disabling conditions. That's the definition of chronic homelessness. Uh, it, the cities, just, just their emergency responses, uh, 911 calls, jail cells, um, uh, emergency psychiatric care, uh, uh, and, and unreimbursed hospitalizations. It, it averaged for that 828 people $40,000 a year versus housing with case management it was $20,000 a year, half the amount. Um, and what we know about, and that, that's called housing first, and what we know about that model is that folks with chronic health conditions are never able to successfully engage in the treatment they need and therefore never see the outcomes that you or I would see when we get sick and get treated uh, with, while they're living outside. But once they're in housing, and studies across the country have shown this again and again, people engage in the treatment. We just did a cover story in Street Sense about a man who had a, a decades-long addiction to cocaine. He's HIV positive. Uh, he... Um, he uh, repeated hospitalizations, uh, several serious heart conditions, several involuntaries. A, a U.S. veteran uh, was uh, very close to an explosion uh, on a base and has post-traumatic stress disorder. He's now been housed quite successfully. Um, he just completed his 13th marathon. He's been substance-free, including cigarettes, for five years now. That's a, a poster child uh, of success for the Housing First model. And, and, and what's happened to him is, is happening all around the country in cities that get it, that have gotten it way sooner than Washington, D.C. has. Because we've been doing the economic idiocy now for decades. I've been in the city for 30 years now, and I've watched mayor after mayor throw money down the drain at homelessness. But cities like, like uh, in Utah, I'm, I'm blanking on the name of the Salt Lake, Salt Lake City, and, and places in, in uh, cities in Florida and in, in Texas are, and are light years ahead of us in, in, in this understanding in Seattle, are light years ahead of us in understanding that, that uh, homelessness doesn't make sense economically uh, and, and housing solves the problem and it's cheaper. You know, your point of $40,000, we spend on average about $10,000 a year on a Medicare beneficiary. So at 40, that's four times the cost, which is about what we spend annually on ESRD patients end-stage renal disease patients, which is extremely expensive. So their price or their cost is comparable to an ESRD patient. It's, it's, it's unbelievably expensive. Um, and, and the outcomes that uh, these studies are showing for folks who get into the housing, you know, a lot of folks will tell you, uh, I've been doing this work for a long time, a lot, a lot of folks will tell you, there's just some people who, who are, will never come inside. Um, and, and what I know and what I've proven in my career is that that's simply not true. I ran a program out in Fairfax County that was funded by the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development back in the late 1990s, uh, that every one of the original res residents that came into the program had been outside for more than 10 years. And these are the folks that said, these people will never live inside. All of them were in that housing five years later. Uh, all of them were, uh, had health outcomes, mental health outcomes, um, employment and tax-paying outcomes, significantly better once they were in that housing. I mean, these are some of the folks that were described by mental health professionals as some of the most seriously ill folks in the county that they'd ever seen. Um, and, and so that, that proved to me it was a small program, uh, but it, it, it turned lives around and it, it housed folks who others said never could be housed. Mm -hmm. 
So I think we have question, time for one other question. You did mention at the top of this you're doing other things beyond the, the newspaper publication and, and sales. Uh, online, theater, photography. It's, tell me more about that. So what we discovered in the newspaper is, is that more important than the money that we put in your pocket when you sell our paper, the esteem we put in your soul when you write for the paper, when you use your expressive talents and write for the paper and tell your story, um, or when you stand up on a stage and, and tell your story in poetry, is unbelievably transformative. I'm sure it's a big ego kick to listen to yourself on, on a podcast, and I know I've, I've published articles before. I know what it's like to see someone else reading my, my what I've written. It's a big ego boost. So on April 29th here in Washington, D.C. at E Street Cinema, we're premiering three films, written, shot, directed by men and women who live outside. Um, and it's out of that same knowledge that we have is using those expressive arts and those talents uh, dramatically to change the way we see ourselves. Uh, and, and that propels us forward in our lives um, and, and helps us reconnect. And those connections are what keep us whole and, and what keep us on the right track in life. And, and men and women who have spent years and years in prison, and that's, and that's the only place there's a right to housing in this country is in prison. You break the law and you're guaranteed housing and three meals a day um, and an education. And are finding great success in these programs. Uh, and we believe it, and we hope we have the opportunity to take this model further and, and help a lot more people than we're helping today. Great. Well, Brian, thank you so much. We're at our time boundary. Thank you, David. Any final comment or thought? You know, if, if you, everybody always asks me, if you see someone homeless, what you should do? And, and I always say, stop, look them in the eye, and ask them uh, to tell, you that, tell their story and, and what's going on in their life. Treat them like a person the way you would if you ran into your brother or your sister out there as well. Great. Thank you again, Brian. Very Thank appreciative. You. you have just heard another edition of the Healthcare Policy Podcast hosted by David Intricasso. To comment on this program or others, to see information about upcoming interviews, to suggest a program topic, or to hear an archive program, please visit our website, thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Thank you for listening, and please listen again soon.